0: honored to be able to be here with you guys this evening to open up the word the next passage in Matthew 17. And so uh, if you would please stand for the word of the Lord we're told in Matthew 17 starting in verse 14. It says, and when they came to the crowd a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord have mercy on my son for he has seizures and he suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon. And it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. This is the word of the Lord. He may be seated. I'm thankful I get a chance to teach this passage because passages like these, um, I think, uh, really give me hope because my own life experience, I uh, can find a commonality in a passage like this. I can think back to a day when some of you in this room even were... Uh, middle schoolers or elementary schoolers and I took a group of students on a mission trip to Mexico back before you know it was still just legit safe right I don't know I think or might have been there but I, free- I kind of I get rusty I get it. I'm kind of getting old and I lose it as to who was where and when and how all that happened I do remember one girl was there specifically because she we had my son who was like uh, a year or less old maybe eight nine months Joel was five months old you were there uh, anyways, I remember because I remember the girl holding him and um, then uh, letting him go and he slammed his head on the table. And so that really left the memory in both my son and myself too. So I remember that part. Um, I remember uh, there was a, uh, just a beautiful place in the uh, north state of Baja, Mexico, and we were doing some great ministry with the Church, and uh, we had this guy that would uh, be our connection to a certain church and pastor and brother Tony, and they were, they were just rich times and delicious tacos. And so we uh, were at the church and found out that the pastor's daughter had some medical issues and supposedly was really struggling in the hospital because of chickenpox. And uh, I was kind of surprised because, you know, we all have chickenpox as kids or get the. Uh, um, immunization or whatever, and are fine, right? But it seemed like the uh, church was very concerned about this poor girl, and so um, we had heard the pastor was at the hospital with her, and a couple days went by when we were there, and, and I heard that they'd come home, and we happened to be close to the, the church and the parsonage where the pastor and his family lived, and so I asked, hey, can we just maybe go and pray for her? Because uh, she was home, and it was seeming like, you know, everything was better, but it, at least there was a chance for us to kind of be a presence, for uh, her in that moment. So we did, and I remember being in there with uh, whatever students we could find um, at the time as our group was dispersed among the area, and we prayed for this little girl. Um, and, uh, you know, I remember a couple of days after that went by, and I was up on a roof of this, of this house that uh, uh, myself and a couple of high school girls, um, there probably, you know, a, a, a couple of uh, guys and girls there, but uh, you always have more girls on your, on your trips than guys because girls are way more spiritual. And so uh, we, were, we were there and we were building this uh, house, just ambitious, trying to get after it. Like I had no business trying to do construction in, in Mexico. But uh, nonetheless, we were there and uh, putting this house up and figuring things out. And... I could even hear the lady we were building for was a key part of this church, too. And I could hear the phone ring downstairs and, the, and it rang and you could just hear in the, the tone of her Spanish that something was wrong. And she started to cry. And then uh, as we started to uncover what happened, um, we uh, found out that the pastor's daughter had just died. And I remember uh, sitting up there in just one of these vivid moments that I will never forget sitting up there on top of what was now the roof of this beat-down house in, you know, rural Mexico. And you could kind of see uh, a territorial view, you know, of all that was around, see these other houses. And I just remember kind of dropping my hammer and sitting down. I remember the other high school girl that was uh, there at the time just sat down on the roof and just started weeping. And it really had a way to put into perspective, like, man, what, it, it was deflating. What good is this even doing? <laughs> and I remember being terribly sad at that whole moment. <laughs> but I also felt this other simultaneous emotion that was kind of creeping in until I could put a finger on it. And that was an emotion of embarrassment, really. Because, you know, I uh, was there, right? Right? leading a group of students on a mission trip for Jesus, trying to just lead strong, make something happen, or whatever it might have been, trying to uh, help these students have a good experience and trying to be a spiritual leader to them. And I honestly had told this story before, and I said that I think after I prayed, the girl got worse and not better. Like she was getting better, and then we prayed for her, and then she died. I... Uh, a lot of times, my friends tell me to pray for something, and I say, I don't know if you actually want me to do that. And it's only kind of a joke, and it's only kind of funny, right? <laughs> because I'm thinking to experiences like this. And so, in those moments, I was embarrassed because I'm like, man, I'm a leader of this team and the pastor of a church and leading a group of students, and we pray for this girl, and she got worse. And what, am, what does that even mean? Like, what am I even modeling to students and experiencing in my own life? And walk with Jesus. And I have to recall this story and tell it because when I read the story of the disciples with Jesus, I had to think, man, maybe I could see a little bit of my own experience in theirs. I wonder if you could relate to that. This idea, maybe that there's uh, just like the A team of Christians, and then there's a bunch of others, right? Like. <laughs> Maybe somehow I and others have missed it while, while there's, there's this elite group of followers of Jesus that really get it, right? Like, have you ever felt like you were maybe a second string Christian, maybe not quite able to cut the mustard, the B team, right? You were like the remedial reader of Christianity, or maybe you were the junior varsity, you know? Man, when I was growing up, I really loved to play sports, and uh we can always think of the days if you were uh, like, like me involved in those sports at recess where you sit, stood there when you were ready to play whatever sport it might be and you, your hope was what? When they picked the teams? That you wouldn't get picked last, right? And then all the way through uh, middle school and then high school, though, I remember those feelings just becoming more sophisticated because I was uh, committed to playing football for four years of high school um, But a lot of people would probably wonder why. I mean, I'm not saying I didn't have shiny moments. I was 100% for catches, Kenny. I caught one my freshman year and one my senior year. And uh, both times, I think they were just like a little bit of God's gift, just saying, like, I'll just give you something, like a, a little moment of glory amongst many other moments of sideline watching. Great seats, by the way, to watch the game. But not quite the same as playing it. And that, I mean, I actually remember too, you know, being a, being a <laughs> high schooler, I remember my coach at the very last senior game, um, I ran up, you know, as they were introducing the seniors, and the um, and coach uh, named Art Lashenko shook my hand. He said, I got a lot of respect for you, vote. And I, I, it, it, probably years later, I reflected on what he, what, he, what he respected. And I was thinking, oh, I mean, clearly, <laughs> he respected I didn't quit, right? <laughs> Even though I totally should have. That's really what was happening there. At the mo- time, I was like, oh, wow, it must be really something. <laughs> Man, so for much of my life, right, I've been followed by this junior varsity experience. Guys, my name is Jared Vogt. My initials are JV. I can't even shake it to my core, right? (laughs) It's just with me. And so I wonder if these disciples felt that way. Like they were there. I mean, let's not forget, too, you know, that these guys were uh, at a spot where they had been told by Jesus in Matthew chapter 10. They were told when after Jesus gave his Sermon on the Mount, he called the disciples and he commissioned them. And it says he... In verse two, and he called to his twelve and gave them the authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And so, here these guys are, right, trying to do just what Jesus had commissioned them to do, and they couldn't do it. They just totally failed. They were trying to deliver this impressive performance, and they couldn't. And they had to. Uh, they had to have a sense of like, man, maybe I'm second string, second fiddle, JV. I wonder if that's been your experience, if at times you can relate. Because if so, there's something really comforting, I think. At least we can find comfort in the experience these disciples had and that it matches yours. I know it's matched mine. And so if we work our way through this story that we've read already in Matthew 17, 14. Let's unpack it a little bit verse by verse, and we'll see what uh, might be in this and the way the Lord would speak into your life and mine. It says, And when they came to the crowd, a man came to him and kneeling before him. He said, Look, or, sorry, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and suffers terribly and often falls into the fire and often into the water. And just like Maddie had explained to us a couple weeks ago, if you can remember, um, back that far, two weeks ago, last week was Mother's Day already, and uh, the week before, Maddie did a great job teaching about the transfiguration of Jesus, and she had um, brought up uh, just a good point so that we can keep in rhythm and sync with what's happening in these stories. It's like Matthew wants us to know that these things are happening one after the other. And so Maddie mentioned something about why the uh, phrase, the six days later, were in there. Um, as much as we can tell, this story is happening directly now after Jesus and, and the uh, inner circle of Peter, James, and John were coming down from the mountain. And let me just fix this as it's rubbing on my facial hair. So then uh, the, uh, immediately, basically, when they get down from the mountain, there is this crowd maybe just waiting for them. And there's already activity going on. The disciples are trying to hold down the fort without Jesus being there. And so, uh, man, I just, I, uh, I want us to, to really consider as we think of this story, the father's plight as he came to Jesus. I mean, this guy is desperate. I mean, can you think about having a little son, just this precious little life, and from childbirth, this guy is having seizures and is throwing himself into the fire or nearly drowning as he has these uncontrollable seizures and falls in the water. I and mean, what would that do, right, to your parenting experience, to mine? Man, I can only imagine. I have some friends that I work with that uh, have been totally excited about having a little Uh, human life as they're expecting their first baby. They've had a number of different miscarriage experiences. And so you can just imagine that every one of those pregnancies is filled with um, this uh, anticipation of joy, but also this fear of uh, what happens if they would find out that another um, pregnancy ended in miscarriage. And this time it seemed like, you know, that the baby was going to take and they uh, carried this baby all the way through. And so mom is getting big and everyone's getting excited and uh, they have the baby and then within hours we just heard that the baby had started to have seizures and uh, they were going to rush this little hours old human girl this little life up to OHSU and they're spending the next 40 days up in OHSU just hoping that uh, she would pass the number of certain tests that they need to pass to be able to release her to her parents care and uh, so 40 days, man, they're living up there at the McDonald's house, just waiting, wondering what's happening with their baby girl. And when, when the uh, dad finally came back to work, um, I asked him about how it was going, what was happening, how their baby girl was. And the moment uh, that, that dad was the most emotional, like this tough dude, right, that doesn't want to show his feelings, the moment where he choked up was when he started to talk about what life will look like from here with their daughter. Like that this frequency of seizure and this condition that this little girl has is not something that the doctors are saying is going to get better. Like it's, they're going to care for this little baby and they won't even know what the extent of her um, brain damage will be or her ability to interact with humans or to care for herself or anything. And it's at that moment, man, that guy couldn't hold back the tears. What a change of reality, right? From anything you ever expected and hoped would happen. And so I've got to imagine the desperation. We can think together of what what this dad must have gone through, how their experience in watching, caring for their little boy was just heightened by having to watch every moment, every time there was something dangerous around because they didn't know if this boy would have another episode. And the uh, father's trying everything to do, and he takes them, and he uh, takes and finds these followers of Jesus, these disciples, and Jesus isn't there. And so the disciples try to do their thing, right? They're commissioning, and uh, they can't do anything about it. That's what verse 16 says. I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? And how long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And so can everyone say to this statement of Jesus, ouch, or something, right? I mean, really, there's this situation in front of Jesus and he responds by saying, oh, you faithless and twisted generation. Faithless, meaning unbelieving, right, without any kind of faith, twisted, meaning that they were, well, the reason I'm stuck is because I'm trying to decide if it's helpful for you. Some versions, and maybe even the root of this word, is the idea of a perverse generation, right? Like that's the kind of um, connotation Jesus has, is that there is a a, a twisted, a a wrong way of approaching, a wrong way of thinking uh, effect of of the people. I think Jesus is primarily talking to his own disciples. From, from what it seems, why Jesus would respond in what seems like maybe a, a harsh tone, is I really think that there's some more going on even to this story where Jesus is at with his disciples, where he's hoping that they will start to have the lights turn on, right? hoping that they'll start to get it, and, and desperately wants them to do so. And then when these occurrences happen, he's back to the same spot with them. And that's just like, can you just believe? Can you figure out who I am and what I'm doing? Um, All through the scriptures, we see Jesus teaching his disciples, right? Hoping that they'll understand the revelation of who he is and what he's about to do. And all through the gospels, it seems like most of the disciples are just like a couple steps behind, right? Where, uh, Where Jesus would teach them to be and uh, i think that i would also likely be there's a lot that he's delivering a lot that's going on and so uh jesus says this uh and then jesus rebuked the demon we're told in 18 and it came out of him and the boy was healed instantly and so i just want to make sure that we note this this is the result that happens right um the What we hear in verse 15 is that there's seizures happening to this boy and that he suffers terribly. And then verse 18, we're told, Jesus rebuked the demon. And so can we all say together, wait, what demon? Right? Like, do you catch that? Verse 15, the father comes and says, hey, this guy's having some seizures and he's suffering terribly. My boy throws himself into the fire and almost drowns in the water. And Jesus comes and it doesn't say that he said anything about the seizures or the suffering. Jesus says, get out of him, you demon. And uh, I think that's just really worth noting. There's no mention of demon here until Jesus rebuked it and came out. It's almost like... The father and the disciples could have thought there was a different problem than what actually was happening, right? And it makes me wonder if the disciples even got the whole story of what was going on when they were praying for this little boy. See, we we think of this situation, we think of the social implications, the relational factors, you know, you, you might think about all sorts of things but have you thought about really the spiritual dimension? I wonder if there's a spot where you are in life now where you're wrestling with something, have a hardship happening, something just feels wrong or bad. Maybe it could be a number of different things that are happening in life. It could be pain that you're going through, it could be relational tension that you're experiencing, It could be your mental health. It could be um, any number of hardships that you're enduring. And we think about all sorts of different factors. And I just want to ask, have you thought about the spiritual dimension too? Like what might be happening behind the hardship that you're going through now? What is behind the tempting sin that you keep dreaming about and struggling with like it's been said you know that a fish would do a lot better if instead of seeing the worm if he could see the hook and in a similar vein I think that we would be a lot wiser I know I would be a lot wiser in my life if I could really ask and even stop and ask for discernment to see what actually is going on spiritually We live in a culture, right, that believes in naturalism. That only what exists is a material, what you can see, taste, touch, hear, smell, experience. But that is not the biblical worldview. The biblical worldview is one quite differently than naturalism. It's one that believes in the spiritual dimension, right? Like we are told, friends, that there is a war. Like there actually is a battle that demons are real and angels are real and there's a spiritual realm that is happening alongside of our physical experience right now and I think the enemy would love if we could just forget about that whole thing and not even see what was going on and the Bible tells a different story you know like, for example, we're even told that uh, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and the principalities that exist in our world. In other words, what, what that's told me is that there's times where I'm having a, uh, a conflict or a battle, right, with another person of flesh and blood. And there's been times in those moments that, it's, that I have to stop and realize, wait, what does this verse mean? If it says our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers of this present, dark, evil world. It means there's more going on than just an argument with a friend or whoever it might be, right? There's a spiritual reality. So can you consider that? In whatever experience that you're having now in life, whatever hardship there is, what spiritually might be going on What might God be doing? What might the enemy desire? The battle's real. And those are wise who recognize it. And in verse 19 it says, Then the disciples came to Jesus. This is when it was all said and done. Jesus healed this boy. Like no more seizures, no more suffering. No more wounds and scars because of the fire no more near drowning experiences jesus heals this boy and his disciples come to him privately why you gotta think it's because they maybe felt a little bit like i shared embarrassed like why couldn't we do it that's exactly what they said. <laughs> Why could we not cast it out? And then Jesus said, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible to you. And that's the story we have here. And the question I think really is, and what I want to uh, end this evening by sharing with you is just the question is what do we do with it right and so here's three short reflections on what to do with this story because uh, I don't know if you feel like uh, this is a good place for me to end all right what do you think um, Kevin's not here but he always uh, used to fall asleep during my messages in youth group um, and uh, no so uh, I don't know about you but <laughs> where I was going with this whole side thought is just that I don't feel like a whole lot's resolved as of yet right this is a story that is here and done and told. And it leaves me thinking, what is going on? What just happened? What's Jesus saying? And so these three, three thoughts to leave you with. First, I want to just recognize the truth that Jesus actually teaches right here in Matthew 17. Because the truth is this, that there is mountain moving potential when we have faith in Jesus. Mountain moving potential comes from faith in Jesus, from trust in Jesus. This uh, passage when when we're told, when we hear Jesus say, man if you had the faith the size of a mustard seed, you could move mountains. If you are uh, very literal like, like I am, and I think so many are, we would Probably actually have to ask a question at one point in time, like, "When's the last time someone's moved a mountain?" <laughs> because of Jesus, right in a prayer of Jesus, And my take is honestly, that's where we have this hyperliteralism that we can just calm down a little bit because I really think we could give Jesus um, a little bit of, an, of a uh, permission to use a figure of a speech. He is trying to say with um, even an exaggeration, if you might. Call it that—that that, uh, there is mountain-moving potential when you trust in Jesus. Not—not not that we really could ever find a whole lot of use for moving a mountain, anyways, right? Like the stuff in our lives is stuff that it wouldn't just be like moving a landmass, right? But maybe something that feels just is impossible to ever happen. I mean, I bet you have something in your life that's hard—that's like really hard and you'd love to see it change, right? it feels like a mountain would move before something came of it and changed. Maybe it's a loved one who's spiraling out of control or a sickness that you have or a loved one has that just won't go away, some sort of pain, you know, a financial hardship, you might feel stuck, a relationship that's breaking, and doesn't seem to be repairable, whatever it is, Jesus is telling his disciples then and now that trusting in him has some mountain moving potential. And I just want to make sure and say that and ask you to hear that tonight together. Whatever is happening in life, trusting in Jesus is actually the only hope and a worthwhile hope to believe in that's the truth that is meant to encourage us right here from this passage the second thing i want to point out is just that there's a correction here i think that actually can give us uh give us some more encouragement it definitely speaks into my experience and it's this that Jesus says that he wants our faith. And it's not just a quantity of this faith that he wants. Like he actually says it's even the faith of a mustard seed, which doesn't mean a whole lot to us unless you are a frequent grower of mustard. But Jesus actually gives us another hint back in the uh, uh, chapter 10, verse 32 of Matthew. He, he actually says in passing, thankfully for us, he says the mustard seed, which is the smallest of any of the seeds, right? And so uh, when he does so, then we can start to catch on and realize, oh, when Jesus is likening the faith to a mustard seed, then he's just saying, it only just takes a little bit, right? So the uh, question is not that of quantity, but that of the presence of the faith, the quality of who we put our trust in, and it's in Jesus. What he's saying is that it doesn't matter if you're like the A team or the Z team. If you're Varsity or Jared vote, you just trust me. And that's what matters. And, and I really do find hope in that because it takes out all the comparison games. It takes out all the uh, idea that there are experts. There's no tryouts. <laughs> There's no levels of advancement. Jesus just wants our trust. Do you trust him with whatever it is that's hard in life that you're experiencing? That is the trick, though. It's a little bit of faith, but the nature of faith is that which trusts. There's a story of a guy that uh, was around in the 1800s um, that uh, is was named Charles Blondin and it was back in the time when there weren't all these safety rules I'm sure and so this guy was famous because they uh, strung up tight ropes um, and he would walk across it and so uh, they strung up a rope from the uh, American side to the Canadian side of the Niagara Falls and Charles Blondin would walk across it people would come thousands of people just to witness this guy who is called the best tightrope walker in the world He'd walk across this thing, ride a bike across it, supposedly even, um, supposedly even wore stilts and walked across it once and then walked across it another time with some sort of a cooking device and cooked an omelet. <laughs> One time, Charles Blondin went ac- and took a wheelbarrow and uh, went across from the United States side to the Canada side and said, now I'm gonna do it again, And walked back across and everyone was cheering and clapping and rooting them on and so now he said I bet you that uh, I I could uh, who, who would like to see me try to do this with 200 pounds in my wheelbarrow and so everyone said yeah so he put rocks in and crossed and then came back and then he said now who would, who would like to see me do this with 200 pounds of a person in this wheelbarrow and then everyone said yeah and he said okay who would volunteer to uh, get in this wheelbarrow and let me wheel him across on this tightrope. And as you can guess, no one said yeah. (laughs) Because you see, suddenly there was this real, uh, a reality of that, if I'm gonna trust this guy with everything I got, it's going to be a huge risk. It's going to take sacrifice. I think that story tells us a lot about the nature of faith and what it requires and that's why I think it's not just a churchy question to ask, are you really trusting God with your life, with your hardships, with whatever the situation is that you find yourself in life? Because He's trustworthy, but it also requires some sacrifice. So there's the truth of this passage that there is mountain-moving potential. And there's also the correction, and that is that it doesn't mean a quantity of faith, but just that you trust in Jesus that, that matters. But then there's also, I think, something that is worth mentioning about the story, and that is the mystery. I just want to make sure that you guys are here tonight that figuring out Jesus might not happen. Like there is mystery in Jesus here, right? There is a complexity to what he's saying. Like at first he calls them the faithless and twisted generation, which would mean faithless would mean you have no faith, right? And then the disciples are thinking, okay, yeah, I guess we don't have any faith. And then they say, why can't we cast this guy out? And he says, because you uh, only had the Uh, a little bit of faith and not enough but then later on Jesus says if you just had a little bit of faith then you could even move a mountain and so it always leaves us to ask what the heck is he saying right like what does it even mean and uh, then we don't even have to get much further for us just to talk about our own life experience and that is that you and I I'm sure if you've been a part of uh, Jesus following for very long have a spot or, or have, a, have a time in life where you would, I'm sure, be able to tell a story like mine, like where you really prayed for something, right, and hoped it would happen, and got on your knees and begged God for it to happen, and it didn't happen. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, there was a young guy at a, a church that I was at on Sunday morning that uh, two weeks prior had been walking around with a walker. He'd herniated two discs in his back, and it was... Supposedly going to have surgery and he held off on surgery and he uh, was there on Sunday morning with no walker. And I was like, man, you must be feeling a lot better, right? And he told the story of how uh, he had got on his knees and prayed and the point of pain was almost unbearable. And then it just went away. And uh, I felt the same things coming back like I did (laughs) back when I was remembering the story of Mexico, the same things that the disciples might have felt here in this story. I felt like, that's great that you got healed. I also thought, my back's been hurting most days for like 20 years. <laughs> like, There's so many things that happen in this walk with Jesus that make no sense to me. That actually is what God says. Your thoughts are not my thoughts and your ways not my ways. Friends, there's a really deep mystery that we have to embrace when it comes to following Jesus. Like I I honestly would tell you I used to think that I had following Jesus pretty well figured out. And can we all laugh together at that? (laughs) <laughs> because if you've been following Jesus for long, maybe you've found, which I would say now, and that is, I don't really have them all that well figured out. Man, I've, I've been to Bible school. I have a master's degree. I've <laughs> taught many and led many. And I wish I could go back just a little bit at times so I could take away a little bit of certainty that I had that now I would say is unfounded. (laughs) Because there's a mystery in following Jesus. It's not weak theology that we can't figure him out. It's the fact that he's Jesus. That he's actually God walking on earth with people. And if we could figure him out, then I don't think he would be God. God. And, uh, man, we, we see these disciples wrestling with that same thing. And, friends, we see these disciples then go and heal people, right? But then we see these disciples eventually die because they are killed or they got old. We see uh, the Apostle Paul praying and people were healed because of him. And then we hear his story in 2 Corinthians of him saying, I pray that God remove this thorn from my flesh. And three times he says, my grace is sufficient. And there's this wrestling in scripture, right? Of how our prayers affect God and what it takes to uh, see God do things and how we could actually tap into his power and see it come to fruition. And there really, friends, is this deep mystery of Jesus, that we don't understand him, and I have come to believe that that actually is a, is a source of deep hope in what it looks like to trust, to not understand him, but to trust. It's, uh, it's a line that I uh, have heard and uh, want to repeat to myself, and that is that, Understanding can wait but obedience doesn't have to. And this idea of faith is really this idea of a trust in God plus an obedience, to do whatever we can do. Man, I have, in the last couple of years, even especially deeply wrestled with some of these experiences like I told you that happened in Mexico and other ones, where it just seemed like, man, I did everything right and. God was supposed to do his part too. And there's times where I've wrestled with deep disappointment, and the experience I've had where is that it seems like maybe he hasn't done what I thought he would. And there's been times even where I have had to take a fresh look and even ask, like, man, is this following Jesus thing even where I want to be and even worth it? And is it doing me any good? And there's times where I deeply wrestled with that in ways that I'd never had in my 30s or 20s or w- whatever it might be. And there is one time, especially, where I think I was wrestling with this and just trying to even decide, man, where do I even want to stand and where do I want to go with all of life? And as I reflected on it, I just thought, what I can't keep from saying from the, from the, core of my heart, no matter what I've been through, I have to say, I have to admit, it's still true that Jesus is beautiful. And I don't know that I could say I got everything else or anything else figured out, but I knew I can start there. And so friends, if you're in that spot, I just want to encourage you with that. Jesus is beautiful. We don't have him figured out in so much in this life goes in ways that you could have never planned and never had a way to even explain. Um, we don't have to know everything about Jesus, though, to trust him and to uh, never understand him fully, but to keep pursuing him and trusting him completely. And so I'll leave you with that and pray. God, uh, we do. We Pray for each of our hearts, Lord, in this place. We know that there actually is a uh, a spiritual battle that's waging. And it's uh, a battle for loyalties. It's a battle for lordship. It's a battle for surrender and sacrifice. Lord, it's you saying, if we trust you, then you can do with our lives what we could never And with that comes a a real degree of surrender and sacrifice to you, but also something more beautiful than we could ever ever do on our own. So God, with whatever way you want uh, this passage to penetrate past even our minds and into our hearts, may you just do that, Lord. May we, with open arms, surrender to what you might have, to what we're holding on to, to what we're seeking to understand and may instead, God, we just be okay to say, I don't get it, but I wanna trust you. And God, we thank you that uh, you are always right there, faithful, kind, patient, good God, gently nudging us and pointing us towards you. So God, no matter where we're at, if we consider ourselves a follower of Jesus or really starting to wonder who he is for the first time or wondering what do I even want to do with him, Lord, thank you that you're here gently pointing us to you. May that picture of you, even tonight as we worship, get a little bit more beautiful because that's who you are.